Oh, well, hello, everybody. Happy April. <laughs> it has been over a month now since I did my last episode. Um, because I immediately knew what I wanted to do my next thing on, but I had a lot to uh, reading to catch up on. And it's like the more I read and the more books I listen to, just the more I have to say that it's getting out of control. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I got to start somewhere. So I'm going to just lay the foundation, at least with this podcast. And I'm sure this conversation and what I learn is going to continue the rest of my life, honestly, because today, parents, FYI, if you have small children, if you listen to this with kids around, um, I'm going to be talking about sex and maybe you're fine with that and you want them to hear, which maybe that's a good thing for them, depending on their age. Um, hopefully you're already having a conversation with them about it because there's some people who never even have this conversation with their kids and they let the world just educate them. And that is um an equation for destruction so don't do that talk to your kids about sex uh, it's a good thing it's a great thing it should be celebrated there shouldn't be shame around it you just need to teach them the way god designed it with the boundaries in mind of between a husband and a woman a husband and his wife um in marriage and today we're gonna hopefully just as i talk about this stuff you'll have your own revelation of why God designed it that way. And you'll be able to recognize the way society's new way of treating sex in the dating um, field, how toxic it is and how destructive it is just for our brains and our bodies and our health and our communities and our families. Um, I think it's pretty logical. Um, and it's essentially what one would call common sense, but common sense really isn't common anymore. It's actually pretty rare. So maybe I should say it's rare sense. <laughs> I don't know. But um, yeah, so I've wanted to talk about sex. Um, yeah. And you know that little salt and pepper song, let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Well, that song has been in my head for like a month straight. So I need to get this episode out so that song can get out of my brain. Um, cause it stays on there a lot. Thank you. Salt and pepper. But, um, all right. So what I want to first break down is just the science of sex and our brains and our bodies and the way God designed us and what's happening. Um, when we engage in sex, sexual activity so um as well if you follow me on social media you've probably seen a story i've posted here and there where i talk about i i essentially i call people in the los angeles dating pool that are just like swiping right and having sex with someone they just met or going to bars and finding people to sleep with that night i call them reptiles I say those aren't even humans anymore. Those are reptiles. They have degraded their brains and their minds and their bodies and their feelings and their emotions down to the basic lowest level possible like a reptile. And I think this is hilarious in the way that um, I didn't even know this was a thing until I started doing this research. And I like, like I literally Googled what's happening to our brains during sex. And essentially, scientists break down our brain into three main categories. Of course, there's a million things in our brain, but just for simplicity, they say we have a reptilian brain, a mammalian brain, and a neocortex. Guys, how funny is it that I have called people that are sexually promiscuous reptiles, which, you know, what? honestly, as I'm saying that, you probably think I'm really judgy or harsh or... <laughs> I don't know. It was never really something I've said to like be hateful. It's just for lack of better uh, words, because a man once asked me, well, what do I call men who are just purely after women for the sex? He's like, those are, those aren't men. Those are boys. And I said, that's not even a little boy. A little boy wouldn't do that. That's a reptile. So that's where that all started from. Um, 
so yeah that was, it was never really done like in harm it was just a basic way to describe people operating from their reptilian brain um and so this is what science says what they have discovered and researched and observed that in the reptilian brain which is in your brain's brain stem in the cerebellum it's where you get your instincts your fight or flight uh breathing balance coordination body temperature simple survival um, urges like feeding mating defense pleasure shelter alarm it's unconscious you're not sitting here thinking oh my gosh i need to breathe out now now i need to breathe in now i need to breathe out you don't have to think about that it is your reptilian brain takes care of it for you it's not teaching you how to blink you don't think i need to blink um you are if you are sitting somewhere and you start getting cold your body is that reptilian brain kicks in is like we need to uh, move you to a place that's warmer or get some blankets so there's things you in your reptilian brain um you were born with it fully developed so essentially you what what your reptilian brain has observed or what happened with your parents grandparents great-grandparents in their reptilian brain comes out out you come out of the womb with the reptilian brain passed down from those relatives so like if they lived in an environment with certain um i don't know whether it was abusive or healthy your reptilian brain comes out with either an advantage or a disadvantage um this this area is fully developed at birth and handles basic instincts and functions to sustain life and movement okay and then the next level of our brains the mammalian brain also known as the limbic system which these are these are cool things that i'm just learning um, maybe you guys already know it if not maybe some light bulbs will go off for you but in the limbic system that's where emotions memories feelings attachments habits social awareness dreams interaction with others um, the limbic system develops years ahead of the prefrontal cortex development in the limbic system plays an important role in determining rewards and punishments and processing emotional experience and social information kids develop major changes in their limbic system around the ages of 10 to 12. okay so you come out of out of your mommy's belly with your reptilian brain already formed your limbic system from the time you're born up until around the age of 12 it is gathering information storing it you are you are receiving tons of of information on a subconscious level being programmed into your limbic system from the time you pop out of the womb okay so if you for instance myself and for all intents and purposes when i talk about my experience in my childhood and my life this is not to shame my parents my family it's not to shame anyone it's just for the sake of the conversation and how i process and how i have viewed my life um it is what it is okay other people may be like autumn that's not what happened that's not how your life was that's not how your parents were for my little brain in my own childhood and through my eyes these are how things happened for me okay and i am not like i said i'm not trying to shame anybody i know my parents did the best they could with what they knew and even as i learn more of this information i see how or why they did things that they did because um, sometimes parents just don't know any better and whether or not that's a good or bad thing is sometimes usually there's things they just do that they were taught um, that they didn't realize the damage it did to them and then they pass that on to their own children not not being fully aware of how harmful it was um, so in my limbic system from a young age um, some of my deepest memories when it comes to on towards the male side towards my father i have just tons of memories of my dad being harsh and cold um, and non-emotional never really developed like this emotional attachment to him and then on my mom's side my mom was warm and nurturing but she also was always always busy like i have very few memories of my mom holding me as a kid and the few i do where i would climb up in her lap when she was in the rocking chair 
she was usually that's what that was like the one time of day she got to sit down and take a break so she would be on the phone with maybe a sister or one of my aunts or her mom just having a conversation with a friend trying to be a human but um so it wasn't undivided attention and so i just developed these these subconscious programs within my own limbic system um of, of a core wound that i am still processing today is a feeling of insignificance um just feeling like i don't matter and i know it hurts me to even say that because i know that was never ever my parents intention in raising me or taking care of me they never would purposely try to make me feel like i don't matter i know they would never ever consciously do that but with the way this world works and the way the enemy works that is just something that happened often to me in my childhood was i just felt like i didn't matter and i guess that is honestly um, kind of a middle child or a second child struggle is a lot of um, children that were born second it's almost like the excitement of a child they they had a lot of excitement for the firstborn and then the second one's born and it's like oh we've already done this once um so without even intentionally doing it there's less i don't know less of an excitement for the second child less attention less whatever to go around um and then the more kids you have sometimes the more that happens but then in a way where like someone's the baby of a family that child where the parents may be like, oh, I've had five kids by now, but that little kid will also get lots of love and affection from the older siblings, if they're good older siblings. <laughs> um, but so just your limbic system is constantly receiving subconscious programming. It, um, so like if you're a little kid, and, and for me, I was a little tomboy. I did not want to play inside with dolls and Barbies and makeup. I liked being outside. I liked playing with trucks in the dirt. I liked playing uh, baseball or basketball with uh, my brother and my cousin Dave. I liked uh, riding my bicycle. I liked being outside. I liked doing what our society would say is boy stuff, which is stupid language and a way that causes division and confusion from a young age that makes me really angry. Cause I even have a friend and he, like just some of the, the, the stupid social conditioning that was spoken over him when he was little, like he liked making flower arrangements and, and insecure, false, strong men would say to him like, oh, girls do that. What the, no. Boys or girls can do that. Boys or girls can play with dolls. It's a tiny little figure that looks like a little human. Why wouldn't a boy or girl want to play with that? That's fun. And then the playing outside or riding your bike. Why wouldn't a boy or a girl want to do that? The way the society starts from the beginning trying to divide people, I personally believe that is a demonic principality that rules over people. And Christians who buy into this, um... Little girls need to wear pink and little boys need to wear blue. Stop it. Stop speaking that over your children and stop acting like if your little boy wears pink. Oh, my gosh. Hmm, I wonder what that says about him. It doesn't say anything. It says he likes the color pink. So what? That is not a boy or a girl thing and not a male or a female thing. Okay, I wasn't expecting to go off on that little tangent, but I did. Anyways, back to what we were talking to. The limbic system. Okay, so we have the reptilian brain, which is your brain stem and your cerebellum. And then we have the mammalian brain, which is the limbic system, which the reptile brain, you know, lizards, snakes. And then we have the mammalian brain, monkeys, dolphins, giraffes, horses. Well, okay. We were given another layer of brain called the neocortex. All right. God made animals in their image, made reptiles in their image, and then he made us in his image. All right, so in the Bible it says, and there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. This is in Genesis. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, land crawlers, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. God made the beast of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, 
and everything that crawls upon the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image. So we made all these animals and the reptiles. And now I said, now we're going to get to the part, the creatures that are going to be like us. And I'm not just going to give these, th this creature, the reptilian and the mammalian brain. I am also going to give them the neocortex. Um, and so it said the sixth day. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock and over all the earth itself and every creature that crawls upon it. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every creature that crawls upon the earth. All right. Our neocortex, the prefrontal cortex, finishes developing in the mid to late 20s. This part of the brain is behind the forehead. This is one of the last parts to mature. But this area is responsible for skills like planning, prioritizing, making good decisions, language, abstract thought, consciousness, the ability to say, oh, hey, maybe this isn't a safe or a good idea. Or maybe I hurt my friend and I should apologize. Animals aren't sitting around being like, you know what? I wasn't so nice to Randy. I better go tell him I'm sorry. Animals don't think like that. Neither do reptiles. Humans do because we were created in the image of a God who has compassion and empathy and mercy. All right. Um, we have this part of the brain is has reasoning, rationalizing. It's the thinking brain. Uh, we have focused attention. This is where we have shame, guilt. It's where we have self-control, compassion. It's the area where God gave us the ability to have free will and make our own choices. It's where we have judgment and opinions like, hmm, her hair doesn't look good like that. Or, oh, I really like him in those pants. Or <laughs> I like the way he walks and talks. Um, horses aren't looking at other horses and judging their appearance. <laughs> This is where we get cultures like this is why um, you don't go to elephants in this region and they all like the color red and blue. And then you go over here and these elephants like yellow and green. You don't get that no matter where on the planet you will find all these creatures essentially the same. They they will be doing things for survival for their own little community uh, for their own life but they're not building houses or apartment complex. They're not building Lamborghinis or Land Rovers or Jeep Cherokees. They're not out there creating worlds. God gave us the, the ability to create like that. We were created in his image and he's a creator. So he gave us the ability to create. All right. Um, so this, this is, um, the area, this area also has imagination, solving problems, the ability to figure out what others are thinking or implying by gathering information and analyzing it. Um, it's where a lot of our personality is essentially developed. But also, I think a lot of our personalities developed by subconscious information in our limbic system. Um, this is something I've, I've come to realize or I break it down in my own mind over the last year. Um, just from my own, uh, the own, my own books that I've been reading, um, and just information I've been like trying to learn about like trauma, attachment styles, relationships, abuse, like why we make certain choices. Um, essentially our, the reptilian brain is responsible for our, our nervous system activation response, meaning, um, if a fight or a situation arises where you feel threatened, you have one of these responses. You may, um, you may take off running, which is the first instinct for a reptile. Um, the second is fight or the third is freeze. Um, and in most scenarios I have learned, 
I have a fight. I naturally, immediately, if there's a, a threatening situation, I am ready to defend and protect whoever's with me. Um, I've always been that way. It is, it's like I was born with it. Um, it doesn't matter if I have to put my life on the line. My reptilian brain is, goes into protection mode and it will do what it has to do. I've joked many times before, I am a Christian, but if you hurt my family, you just better hope the police find you first because me and Jesus ain't even having a conversation. I'm coming after you. <laughs> I just, because I just know that my reptilian brain, when it's um, activated like that, when my nervous system is, feels a threat, it is like, let's go. Um, but you may have noticed in your own life, when we are having an argument, if we feel threatened or triggered, our reptilian brain starts taking over. This is why I believe personally, we lose the ability to have a solid, peaceful conversation in heated moments uh, because our brain activates our survival mechanisms, which shuts down the, the elevated parts of our brain, our neocortex. Um, and we can't think clearly. We forget what we wanted to say. We forget the reasons we wanted to speak up. That's why you probably have had this happen to you. You've been in a fight and then two hours or two days later, you're standing in the shower and you suddenly come up with really good comebacks and remember all the points you wanted to bring up in the middle of this conversation with this person, but you did, you couldn't remember any of it in that moment because your nervous system was activated. So the complex rational part of your brain that thinks of all this stuff was shut down and you were operating basically from your reptilian brain which was essentially saying we have to survive this moment, smash, destroy, kill, whatever it is in our way or whatever's trying to harm us. That's why um, I think personally for myself in moments when my nervous system has been um, triggered, when a wound within me, which your wounds, I believe, are stored in your reptilian brain and in your limbic system, when one of those wounds are poked or triggered or cut open, um, we're reverted back to like survival mode, which is basically the reptilian brain. And the whole goal in that moment for our brain is, isn't even to win the argument. It's just stay alive, um, and protect ourselves. So it's really hard to do, but I am trying to, be aware and conscious of when my heart rate is activated, when I'm feeling triggered and be like, okay, something in me right now feels threatened, feels unsafe, um, feels scared or embarrassed possibly. And the best thing for me to do right now is to walk away from you in this conversation until a day or two later or until I go talk it out with a neutral friend where they can help me calm down. Um, like that day I, I, I told you in episode 2.1 where I was activated my trigger. I was triggered when I was having a conversation with my mom and my sisters and I just said stuff I regret. And after I'm like, I didn't even mean that stuff. Like, why did I say that? Just in, in my research for this, it's like, wow, it's amazing at what, um, how our prefrontal cortex shuts down and we're operating from our reptilian brain or the mammalian brain, like lower levels of thinking, lower levels of functioning, literally, um, not just metaphorically. We are literally, our brain is like closing in essentially. Um, so that's why like husbands and wives, like if you're fighting and it just seems like it's getting worse, the more you try to talk it out, you should probably walk away from each other and wait till your nervous systems aren't activated so that you can actually have a productive conversation and it not just get worse. Um, but that also requires people doing work and learning their own toxic traits, their own toxic behaviors of like, why? can't you see it from my side or, you know, um, that, that takes a lot of work. It takes two people being on board to better themselves, to learn about themselves, to admit, 
okay, I can see how some of my um, coping mechanisms or some of my survival methods are toxic or harmful or abusive or manipulative. And I can work on those. I don't even know where I learned those things. But yeah, I'm going to read some books. I'm going to get some therapy. I'm going to read my Bible and pray about this and ask Jesus to walk this out with me because we all, I think, are capable of doing things we aren't proud of, whether just reactively or we're triggered and we're, we're going off uh, on someone. But um, I think if you are deeply triggered or easily activated, then that that's a um, signal, a sign that something deeper within you um, is happening. That like, oh, it may seem like this little bitty thing irritates you to where you explode, but rationally, you know, that little bitty thing isn't that big of a deal. Like just for example, within myself, so I have um, a core wound of feeling in, insignificant as a child. And that's played out in my adult life as well, where a couple months ago I had a friend, he and I had planned to have dinner that evening. Um, and it was just a friendship, a pure friendship, nothing more than that. But I had been waiting all day. And then it was about 30 minutes before we were supposed to meet to have dinner. And he said, oh, my mom and my aunt want to take me to dinner. Can I meet you after? And when I tell you I was triggered, I mean, my heart rate went up right away. Um, I was emotional and I was so mad. And I just said something to him like, no, you can't. <laughs> he lives out of town, so he was only here for one more day. And I was like, have a nice trip back. Like I was immediately defensive and aggressive and irrational, honestly. And I was sitting there as I was I was just observing myself being so activated and frustrated. And I was like, why am I being so out of control right now? And I was like, yeah, I'm going to have to bring this up to my therapist. Because <laughs> I was like, this isn't normal. I shouldn't be this mad over him saying that. I mean, it was um, unthoughtful and insensitive of him to do that to me. But, and I could have just, in a mature way, I could have expressed, you know what? That's disappointing because I've been waiting all day to have dinner with you and I feel like you doing this is disrespectful to my time. Um, but honestly, I was able to reflect and realize he was hitting my wound of feeling insignificant. And I have realized over my lifetime that if like I do have plans with a friend or someone I'm really looking forward to seeing and they cancel on me, it really, really, really upsets me. Um, there's some friendships that they're like, oh, I'm too tired. And I'm like, not a big deal. But if it's a friendship that I, I'm looking forward to seeing that person and they cancel on me or they make plans with someone else, honestly, when someone says they're too tired, I it's easier for me to be like, okay, no big deal. But if they are canceling on me to make plans with someone else, that really, really triggers me. Um, so I think that was something that happened to my limbic system, the programming of my limbic system when I was little of just feeling overlooked, feeling like I didn't matter, feeling insignificant. Um, cause I also, <laughs> I had a group of cousins, Crystal and Dave, that were the same age as me and my sister, Rachel and my brother, Dustin. So we would play together a lot when we were little. And one of the things we would play is house. And when we played house, Dave, my cousin, would be the husband of my sister, Rachel. And Crystal, my cousin, she would be the wife of my brother, Dustin. And then guess what? I was fifth will. <laughs> like, I was never chosen. Um, and it's funny just to look back, but I, I genuinely believe that little dynamic there, as um, harmless as it was, as unintentional as it was, I just started receiving in moments like that, a subconscious programming and belief that like one, um, I'm not pretty. I'm not someone that the boys would want, even though it was my brother and my cousin. <laughs> and two, um, I also remember in those moments, I would say to them, I'm the dad. I, I'm going to be the dad of everybody. 
Like I didn't want to be the mom because already at that young age, I could see and observe at how the women were treated in my family. I grew up in the South. I grew up in a Southern Baptist religion where I don't, um, I'm not sure any men that I grew up around were ever intentional. None of them I know that I know of were ever physically abusive. I don't think any of them would ever hit their wives. Um, I never, ever saw that. And I never heard of that, but I've never seen any of them honor, cherish, love, or treat their wives in the way that I think God and the Bible tell men to treat their wives. Um, they were all just raised with this mindset that um, the men go out and make the money and the women literally do everything else. Raise the kids, cook, clean, do the laundry, take care of the men. Literally the men were like another child to take care of. Um, the women essentially lose everything about themselves, their identity, their goals, their dreams, their desires, and they morph into what the man wants. And that's not actually scriptural. Okay. So for people who operate in that mindset, you need to talk to Jesus. But, um, yeah, that's not something I want to go into a lot right now because it's still something that really triggers me and activates me. Um, and so I don't want to talk about it yet. Um, but even so that message right there as a little bitty kid, my limbic system was observing this environment. And I remember as a kid being so mad that God made me a girl because in my mind, I viewed, I, I really wanted to be a pro baseball player when I was little. And one thing I was so mad about was that, um, only men got to be pro baseball players or pro football players or pro basketball players. And I was really, really angry about that as a kid. I remember being so mad at God for not making me a boy, um, just because I could observe how unfair life was for the women versus men and how women were treated like slaves and men were kings. Um, and no one in my family would ever say uh, that men or boys were cherished more than women, but <laughs> that was the message I got loud and clear over and over as a kid growing up. Um, and there were different unhealthy dynamics within family members that would reaffirm that view of mine, that men were better than women, that women weren't as valuable as men, even though that's not from God and that's not in the Bible. Um, that is how these men in their own selfishness and in their own pride treated women or their wives. Um, yeah, <laughs> back to, um, what I was saying about how when we're activated, our nervous system is activated the complex critical thinking part of our brain is shut down. Um, and so that's just something to think about moving forward in your life. If you are activated in some way, be like, okay, I know I'm not going to do my best thinking right now. So I need to calm down. I need to find a way to regulate and calm my nervous system so that I can have a constructive conversation. But all right, back to this whole conversation of sex. And what is happening in our brains during sex? So first off, the brain and sexual organs. Um, where does estrogen and testosterone come from? The main reproductive hormones, estrogen, testosterone, and progesterone are instrumental in sexuality and fertility. They are responsible for pregnancy, puberty, menstruation, menopause, sex drive, sperm production, and more. These hormones are produced in the ovaries, in females, women, and testes, in males, men. Yes, there is a difference. God created us male and female. And there's a lot of things that make us different. Um, what you wear, how you dress, how you fix your hair, how you walk, how you talk, what you play, what you don't play, what you enjoy cooking or not cooking, cutting wood or not. 
Those are not what determine men or women, male or female. Okay. Um, and yes, I do know that there's like intersex people out there, but they have one, they, you, there is actually no one on this planet that will have both ovaries and testicles and a womb and a penis. Okay. There is not one man with a penis and, and balls and a womb and ovaries. Okay. Like sometimes there, I watched a Ted talk a couple months ago of a woman. She's a full, uh, grown woman has all the body parts of a woman, everything, but she also has tiny, she said, tiny gonads in, in her body. So she said, so she's intersex, but as clearly that was just a birth defect. She wasn't created man and woman. She was created woman with a birth defect. Um, so like people that want to try to have these whole huge arguments that like some people are both, they're not, there's one male organs that are dominant or female that is dominant. Like most of those people can go on to either have, ch have children. Like I, I knew someone growing up that when he was born, they weren't sure. And he has grown up, grown up to ha get married and have, a, a, have children with his wife naturally. Okay. Um, back to this. So what's happening during sex? Um, your sex drive is called your libido. That's sexual desire. And our brain activates our libido. It can be low, medium, or high. Um, so like higher testosterone in men makes a kind of a higher sex drive. Um, when you're, you're, uh, these are your sexual hormones. And when they're released, estrogen from the ovaries, if you're a woman, testosterone from your balls, if you're a man, you have increased adrenaline, your heart's racing, you have rapid breathing, flushed skin. It can be the same feeling as skydiving, by the way. Like that's something just to keep in mind that you can be confused about what you're feeling if you're not aware. Um, but so the chemicals during sex that are released are dopamine and serotonin and adrenaline. And dopamine is a neurotransmitter and a pleasure hormone. And serotonin is also a neurotransmitter and it helps regulate happiness and anxiety. They call these the happy hormones. Um, dopamine is pleasure. Serotonin is happiness, focus, tranquility. Oxytocin is also released. It's a love hormone. It's the bonding chemical. Um, it lowers stress and anxiety. That's why simple things like cuddling an animal or um, hugging each other feels really good. Um, that's something God specifically designed for us because he created us also for community and connection. So he gave us benefits for when we're in that, that help us feel better because he designed us for that. Um, if, if certain things didn't bring any benefit to us, we wouldn't seek it out. We wouldn't long for it. So he, he purposely naturally designed us in a way that would draw us and drive us to have community and connection with other people. Like if there was no benefit in having sex, trust me, men would never want to have it because most men are motivated by desire. I can't tell you the number of times I've observed boys being one way and when pretty girls walk in the room, how quickly they change because suddenly, oh, wow, hmm, there's something I'm sexually interested in. I'm going to behave in a way that may attract one of them. Okay. So like if, if God didn't even put that within a guy, then they probably would never even pursue women because sadly, a lot of men are, are motivated purely out of their reptilian or mammalian brain. It's purely selfish. And therefore, why would they pursue a woman otherwise? But um, that's something I'm going to discuss, which is how as a society we have it backwards where they say, sleep with someone, see if there's chemistry. It doesn't matter if you have sexual chemistry, if you don't like hanging out, if you have nothing in common, if you can't stand each other. Sexual chem chemistry means absolutely zero, nothing. If you don't have the same values, the same goals in life, like you need to be making the choice for a spouse from your prefrontal cortex, not your reptilian brain, okay? You may have been attracted to something as a child, but as you grew up into a full-grown adult, hopefully your desires changed about what you enjoy in life and your personality developed. And if you 
grew up in a mature, healthy home. Your parents helped you launch into your own individual with your own identity. Um, and you are able to make choices that are compatible with who you are on all three levels of your brain, the reptilian, the mammalian, and the neocortex. Like, this is my own personal opinion. I believe millions of people have chosen spouses that only their reptilian or mammalian brain was attracted to, that their neocortex has no interest in. Like, they don't like hanging out. They don't like the same shows. They don't like the same music. They don't like the same food. They don't like the same activities. They can't have a conversation. They despise each other on a neocortex level. But for some reason, their reptilian and their mammalian brain are drawn to each other, so they just coexist. That is a terrible way to live life. That's a terrible way to have a marriage. And I genuinely feel so sorry for people in that dynamic or situation. Um, anyways, <laughs> back to this. Um, so it says during sex, your brain receives thousands of pleasure signals from your fully engaged nervous system. That is if you don't have trauma or abuse that impacted your nervous system that blocks you from being able to enjoy sex, which there's lots of people like that because we live in a fallen world where people violate and harm humans in sexual ways or emotional ways that literally uh, stunts or blocks or disturbs or perverts their systems to not be able to enjoy things the way God naturally designed us to enjoy them. Um, so this is interesting right here. It says another region of your brain during sex shuts off. Guess what region that is? The prefrontal cortex. The part of the brain that elevates us above animals and reptiles that puts us on the level in, in God's image, the prefrontal cortex, it shuts off completely during sex. So that's why by the time you're in a situation where you're having sex with someone, it needs to have been someone that you have gotten to know, that you've taken time to invest in, to see if you're actually compatible in a way that your most elevated intellectual smart brain wants that person and so that by the time you are having this sexual encounter with this person it's not out of impulse like a reptile it's not out of impulse like a mammal okay and it's not just to satisfy these urges god created us um to bond all these chemicals that release during sex, he designed specifically to bond us to each other. He designed us to be attached to each other. The Bible literally says the two become one flesh. That is what happens. Sex isn't just a physical thing for humans. It's a spiritual, emotional, mental thing happening. And that's why it is not supposed to be with anybody. That's why it's not supposed to be with several people. It's supposed to be with one your spouse. And the first time you do this is supposed to be on your wedding night. Um, but this, I think God designed also our prefrontal cortex to shut off during sex so that you're not sitting there thinking, oh, I've got laundry I need to do, or um, shoot, I need you to run this by that store tomorrow, or oh, I need to type this paper up. Because if you were thinking about that during sex, you're not there in the moment with that person. That's also why some people struggle having sex or struggle reaching climax because they can't shut that part of their brain off during sex. So they, they're thinking of all these things they've got to get done and they can't sit there and have this intimate bonding experience with their spouse the way God designed it to. Okay. For one, I think it's amazing that God created something so powerful for married people to enjoy together. Like what kind of creator is that? That he would create something that is supposed to be mind blowing, head to toe, feel so good, and make you love the person you're with even more. Like what a reward, what a gift he has given married people. Like that's so special. Um, so it says, when you have sex, you are fully consumed and soaking in desire pleasure, blissful feelings. This feeling though only lasts 10 to 20 seconds and then calms down quickly. 
Then the pituitary gland sends out prolactin, that post-sex glow, the drowsy feeling. Um, then a minute later, the hypothalamus releases oxytocin, which is the bonding hormone, along with other mood boosters. So um, you're quite literally not thinking about the things you like or don't like about this person. You're in bliss, okay? Um, you're not analyzing their toxic traits or the things they do that you can see being a problem in the future. Your brain is giving them a free pass. You know, the whole love is blind. No, it's more like lust is blind. Um, your brain is giving them a free pass because your reptilian mammalian brain is driving in this moment. You're not making choices that would be the most beneficial for you or them long-term if this is a person you just met or a person you're not married to. Um, Y'all, I cannot tell you how many friends and people I have known in my lifetime that decided to do it their own way, decided to do it backwards. Um, and they have sex with someone they weren't married to or someone they just met. So guess what happened? They did a physical act with someone that God designed to bond us to them, to another person for forever. So they are bonded to someone that when their sex drive calmed down and their prefrontal cortex was back in control, they can't couldn't stand the person they were around. They didn't want to talk to them. They didn't want to hang out with them. They didn't want to spend time with them. They genuinely did not like the person outside of anything else but sex. But guess what? They had bonded themselves to them in a sexual way. So they still, on this subconscious level, created this attachment between their limbic systems that are now bonded together. Okay, I'm going to get to the spiritual aspect of all this in a minute, but I just first wanted to discuss the basic practicalness of sex. Um, so they essentially have bonded themselves to a person in an act that's supposed to be for forever with a person that is temporary that they do not even like. That'd be like meeting someone on the street and being, hey, let's go get tattoos with each other's name on it, each other. Like you would never do that unless you're a freaking lunatic, but which those exist. But People are doing something even more, way more permanent than even a tattoo, which is having sex with someone they just met or someone they're not married to. Okay, that is, that is we're going to get into it, but there, there's a million reasons why that is so dangerous. Um, I, most of my life, I have observed people being driven by reptilian and mammalian impulses and desires and urges. Um, I have watched men say or do whatever they have to in order to get the girl, quote unquote. Um, their reptilian brains are in overdrive and they will do all kinds of things during the chase, which if someone is chasing someone, that first off, that is um, a toxic dynamic. People all the time are like, men need to chase. Yeah, I'm not a freaking cheetah or a deer, okay? I don't want to be chased by something because what does a cheetah do when it finally catches the antelope? It kills it and eats it. So if you already are using language from a hunter, a predator, and its prey to describe love and romance and sex, first off, you need a renewing of your mind. I have literally heard men from stages in churches preach like that, that men are wired for a chase. No, the reptilian part of your brain likes a chase, but you're not a reptile, okay? You're not a cheetah either. You're not a tiger. You're not a lion. I, I'm sorry, that just, I cannot stand language like that. It is so toxic and it sets up women and men for all kinds of destructive behaviors. It conditions them to expect terrible treatment. Um, like I, the whole, so like, like, I, like I was saying, um, I've seen men do all kinds of things, go out of their way, be Mr. Prince Charming during this chasing phase that they will never do again or they stop doing immediately after they have sex with the girl. It was purely out of selfish motives. It was purely a lustful agenda. Um, their reptilian brain finds this girl attractive 
And so they, they do, but their prefrontal cortex doesn't, they don't actually want to hang out with the girl and have a conversation. They just want to have sex. That is not from God. Okay. Um, so I've just, you know, I've heard this story and I've watched it play out over and over. Uh, just guys being Prince Charming and then the girl sleeps with him and he changes overnight. And she says things like, he acts like he doesn't like me or he acts like he never loved me at all. And I'm like, honey, he didn't. He was saying and doing, lying, being charming, being deceitful, being dishonest because his reptilian brain wanted you. And then as soon as he got you, his reptilian brain doesn't want you anymore. His prefrontal cortex never wanted you. But suddenly that's what's in control again. So he's like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I'm just over this. I don't like you anymore. And the girl's left shattered. All right. That's not healthy for the guy or the girl. Guys that operated like this in high school, that our society, which has been conditioned by Satan, wants to act like men who have slept with a lot of women are like Mac daddies. I'm like, I'm sorry, but my brain equates a man that has slept with a lot of women as the reptilian version of Godzilla. Like, like all you're showing me is one, you have no self-control. You have no discipline. You're a slave to your urges. You live on the lowest possible level of brain function, which is your reptilian brain. And you've been with so many women like that. You, you have literally degraded women and minimized them down to objects that you literally stick your penis in, get a hit of dopamine, and then you're done. Like, what is that? Like, listen to that. What, why would anyone equate that with like someone awesome? Just from a young age, even at the age of 13, I moved to Colorado and there was this boy that people were like, oh, he had sex at 13. And like, as if other kids, thought it was like a cool thing. And I was like, I will never date that guy, which yes, he wanted to date me. Surprise, surprise. I'm someone who won't sleep with him. So his reptilian brain really wanted me. You know what that dude told me? He said his goal was to sleep with as many possible girls in high school as he could. You want to know something crazy? I still know that man today. He is in an unfulfilled relationship. He can't have children. He has to smoke marijuana all the time. Sound like a Mac daddy to you? Guys, if you're in a, a marriage and there are aspects of it that are boring to you now or the sex isn't as, as good as it used to be and Satan is tempting you with looking out at the world and looking at these people that are hooking up with new people every night and lying to you saying those people are really living it up. You guys, I live in Los Angeles. I know numerous people who live that lifestyle. And when I tell you I've never met anyone more empty, more miserable, more depressed, that lifestyle is such a lie. It's literally the path of Satan. Satan was king of the reptiles, by the way. He was a snake from the beginning of creation, a reptile, and that is part of his world. Just all, people always seeking instant gratification, which, by the way, isn't even gratifying to them anymore. They don't enjoy it. Nothing gives them pleasure. They get addicted to like cocaine, alcohol, vaping. They can't sleep at night. They can't have genuine friendships or relationships because they are constantly restless. They're full of shame. They can't even tell anybody ever who they really are because they, they know instinctually what I'm doing is not good, but they're also slaves to it. That is such a lie from Satan. Do not for one second look at your spouse and believe the lie that somewhere else is better. You know, it may, you may be in a tough time, a boring time. You may be in a phase with your spouse where maybe you just don't even like them. But I genuinely wholeheartedly believe, I'm not speaking from experience, but I believe in my heart of hearts that if two people want to rekindle that flame between each other, the romantic spark, and not just the love they've grown to have, if they want to rekindle that, you can, you can find ways to do that. You don't have to give up. 
You don't have to divorce them and start over. You will get to that place eventually with someone else. Okay, so don't think, oh, I just need to get rid of this one and find someone new. That's a lie. Okay, hang on to the one you've got. Do the work together. Rekindle that love and experience a deepness that these single people sleeping around will never ever get to experience in their life. Okay. Um, let's see. Women, if you live in LA and you're listening to this and you go to a club and a guy hits on you and wants to take you home that night, you are not special. You are not chosen. You are simply nearby and available and easy. For lack of better word, you're easy. And if you say no, guess what? He's not going to be heartbroken. He's going to just look around the room and be like, who else is here? Who else can I try? It's not about you. It's not about wanting you. It's literally wanting to find something to fulfill his sexual urges. That's not a compliment. Do not be flattered. Okay. I can't tell you, this is not, I'm not bragging when I say this. It's honestly embarrassing. I can't tell you the number of times I've just been like walking down the street and I will have a random guy walk up to me and say something. Guys have said this to me. You're my dream girl. And I just look at them and I'm like, <laughs> okay, I guarantee you I am not your dream girl. You are saying this to me out of pure lust right now. Their reptilian brain is activated and they took a risk saying something completely stupid to a stranger. You think I'm your dream girl? You have no idea what I'm like. For one, I'm definitely not cooking and doing your laundry and cleaning your apartment. I'm not going to be your mama. So many men on these dating apps are just looking for a mama. They want to keep their job. They want to keep their life, but they want a girl at home to comfort them and take care of them. They want someone to take care of them like they're a grown toddler because that's what a lot of men are. They're toddlers in adult bodies. I'm sorry, I'm not attracted to that whatsoever. And so the majority of men out here are looking for that. And when they look at a girl like me and they're like, you're my dream girl, I'm like, guarantee you, I'm not. For one, I'm opinionated. Uh, I speak my mind. I am independent. Yes, you know what? I will be a good wife. I think I will be a great lover. I am nurturing. I'm thoughtful. I'm sensitive. I'm caring. I do like to clean. I do not like to cook. I'm just saying, I if I am meant to be married, I'm, I don't even want to go into that. But if I'm meant to be married, I believe, one, I'm truly going to enjoy sex. Two, I'm going to enjoy hanging out with this person and laughing with this person. Like, we've got to be connected spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically. It's It can't just be these two or this one. I'm like, no. If my prefrontal cortex, my limbic system, and my reptilian brain are not into you on all levels, I don't want it. Okay. <laughs> um I feel like I'm getting a little off track here, but, um, so this is, this is my opinion, um, on something I'm, I'm kind of thinking about a lot recently is that, um, so in, in your limbic system and your reptilian brain, the information it receives and stores up throughout the time you're born till the age of 12, I believe this affects what we find attractive or even repulsive. Um, if we experience any type of abuse or lack of a healthy attachment and nurturing, this can damage these parts of our brain. And then, so, for example, like, have you ever heard of men that hire women to spank them because that's the only way they can get an erection? Or there's, there's literally men out there who can't get an erection unless someone poops on their chest. That's what you call a perversion. And you know something traumatic or perverted happened to that person in childhood when their limbic system was being developed and it imprinted on them. And it twisted their, their natural pathways to not have the ability to have a natural connection the way God designed us to. Which is why I truly believe there's scripture where Jesus says, if anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for that person to have a millstone tied around their neck and dropped into the ocean. 
That's how much it makes Jesus and God angry when people abuse children. Because you're not just doing something to them and it like it's something that happened to them one time when they were little. You are essentially jacking that child up for the rest of their lives. You are creating all kinds of problems that will deeply, deeply cause them to struggle and have wounds and pain almost for the rest of their life. Unless they get help and get healing, they will go around. They'll probably become addicts. They can become sex addicts. They'll probably never have healthy relationships or connections. You are opening them up to such trauma. And that's why I think it makes Jesus so angry. Um, but so it is during the development of your limbic system that um, I also believe is when we develop um, same-sex attraction. And so like, you know, you can talk to anyone gay now and they will say like, I've always felt this way from my youngest memories. And this is why I think that is because it was something that was happening subconsciously to their limbic system. So for example, in my own journey with same-sex attraction, um, in my mind as a little kid, men are not safe. They are not trustworthy. They are not gentle. They do not care. So my limbic system has deeply embedded within me this block towards intimacy with men. Like I have to have an emotional connection with someone before I even find a physical attraction. And I have such a block up to where it's hard for me to even gain a space of trust with a guy to feel like I can allow myself to develop an emotional connection with them. And then on the, on the flip side with females in my mind, females are nurturing. They do care. They are gentle. They are comforting. They are warm. But then also I didn't get enough of that attention as a little bitty kid. And in my mind, those are the people that I wanted attention from. So I didn't get it as much. And I noticed that men get that attention from women. So I think I developed this subconscious feeling in my limbic system that like if I'm a little more masculine, if I'm a little bit more like macho-ish, if I'm more tomboyish, I'm subconsciously becoming in a way that attracts that female energy. And this is my own theory. As I said, this is my opinion. But um, I think if, if a person that struggles with same-sex attraction would actually just sit down with an open mind and reflect on their childhood, their parental dynamics, the environment they were in, um, whether they felt safe with one or both parents or with neither, um, they will find a reason and a root of why somewhere along the way they had attraction to the same sex rather than the way God created us to be, which is men for women, women for men. Um, so I, you know, what's interesting is there was the study done in this book. I read about, um, they did with baby monkeys. They put them in this room where there was a really cold figure that had milk. And then there was a warm fuzzy figure, soft with no milk. They would only go get the milk they need to like when they were hungry, but they went to that warm, fuzzy figure for everything else, everything else. And so I haven't quite fully broken down what that means, but I think um, there's something profound there that it's like, I'm, I, it makes me wonder about people that have affairs, um, men that are like in a marriage where um, if society looks at the marriage, they think like, wow, how could he cheat on her? I think subconsciously some, some need of his wasn't getting met. And so he found something to give him comfort instead of doing the hard work and doing the inner work and getting vulnerable with his wife. He took an easy route and went and, and cheated with someone new. Um, but that's where I think men and women both in our limbic systems, we develop what we're attracted to. There's, there was a book where this um, guy talked about how he was like, he said, I had a client that was huge, like six foot seven, but for some reason he was only attracted to little tiny short girls that like tall girls never did it for him. Um, that if a tiny little girl walked into a party, that's who he wanted. He goes, I guess I just like to feel big and strong. And he goes, well, the longer we talked, the more we discovered his mom was a little tiny woman and his older sister was a little tiny woman. 
and those were the caregivers that raised him. So that was what he felt comfortable with. So that's what he thought he was also sexually and romantically drawn to. That was really just what his limbic system felt safe with. Never mind that if he enjoyed conversations with them or life with them, as long as it was meeting his limbic mammalian reptilian urges and needs, that's what he decided he wanted. Um, like I said, I think a lot of people chose spouses that they were subconsciously attracted to for reasons they can't even articulate. And they're like, I don't know why I want them. I just do. Well, I think that's because your limbic system is making a choice for you. But you need to make a choice with your prefrontal cortex and not be ruled by your reptilian or mammalian urges. Okay. So I have talked for a long time about just sex and dynamics and my own opinions. But now I actually want to get to the part about what the Bible says about sex.